1: Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock, the weekend edition. As we break down the conversations we had that you won't hear anyplace else, especially ESPN or Fox Sports or any of these corporate media outlets. Uh, Monday we got off to a great start. Kansas City Chiefs knocked off Tennessee, but barely did the Titans expose the formula for beating and slowing Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, even though they lost. I think the Titans may be on to something. Take a listen. Uh, Steve, I want to start with you, or start here with this question about that game. Who were you more impressed by last night? The Tennessee Titans or the Kansas City Chiefs? And I asked that question because I have to admit, I was more impressed with the Titans than I was my Chiefs. I think to go in there and be that competitive without Ryan Tannehill, says something about the titans who were who were on a five-game winning streak
2: honestly neither i was impressed by the referees their ability to win that game for the home team i mean andy reid must have had six game balls and said all right line judge umpire referee side judge good job guys way to go how about those chiefs that was ridiculous now on a serious note it's interesting. If you actually look at the statistics, which tell you something but not everything, yards, burst downs, time of possession, all that stuff, statistically the Chiefs dominated that game. But I've, I watched it in person. The physicality of the Titans and the way they controlled about 50-some-odd minutes of that game playing left-handed with a backup quarterback that is not ready. It's one of the few times I've actually seen Patrick Mahomes flustered in the pocket They were the bullies in there. That game had that sledgehammer to a butterfly type of feel to it. And for most of that game, I said to myself, that team in the white jerseys, Tennessee, the road uniforms, they're the better team. But the issue is, and this is how important a quarterback is, if the quarterback play was just even, the Titans win that game by two possessions. But because of the greatness and the transcendent skills of 15, He made that play and that game happened. That third and 17 on that important drive where he ran, I said, that's the difference. You just got that feeling like, oh, here it comes. But from a physical standpoint, taking away the stats and the final score, I actually was more impressed by Vrabel's unit.
1: Okay, there was an interesting development that where a stat's coming out where teams now have adopted the strategy of don't blitz. Patrick Mahomes Mm. and the Tennessee Titans were the third team I think to not blitz Mahomes on or only blitz him on like 20 percent or less of his passing attempts the guy threw the ball 68 times (laughs) last night they could only put 20 points on the board 17 in regulation what do we make of the fact that one teams aren't blitzing Mahomes and that The Tennessee Titans, despite only throwing the ball 16 times, Mm. despite only completing
2: five passes, how could they even be in this game? Jason, this is not a new trend. If you go back to last year, me and you talked about this, I would watch Kansas City Chiefs games from last season, and you could see opposing defenses. Their safeties were not even on the screen. They were playing about as deep a cover two as I've ever seen. I called it the polo grounds. I've never seen safeties line up that deep in regular down-and-distance situations. There's no doubt about it. And now that you don't have Tyree Kill, who's ending up being, guess what? He kind of matters. Now there's not that overall threat that's going to take the top off the defense. The issue is, so this is nothing new, but as you found out on certain plays, if you're going to play that style of defense, and more and more units are now having a secondary spy that is built in, because that running threat is a killer. In years past, with guys, certain quarterbacks you would never think are going to run for 17 yards on third and 17. But you're asking defenders, even if you're dropping seven or eight players, you're asking a highly skilled and then athletic guy like Patrick Mahomes not to make a play when they sometimes get eight, nine, ten seconds to find somebody or do something uh, it's almost impossible to hold a guy down of that caliber for 60 minutes. But, Jason, I'll say it again, if they just would have gotten average quarterback play. You know that old line they said about uh, Michael Jordan? Who's the only Michael guy that ever could hold Michael Jordan under 20 points consistently? Dean Smith. Okay. Well, who's the only guy that could stop Derrick Henry? Malik Willis. Have you seen? Look, and I like Malik Willis. Loved him at Liberty. But when you saw him play against Ole Miss last year, finally face an SEC defense, I said to myself, you know, at the next level, he's going to be a developmental uh, project because the system that they played under Hugh Freeze is very college. College to a point that is simplistic, and he's going to need some time to grow. He should not be in there right now, but circumstances dictate that he has to be. Jason, check this out. In two starts as an NFL quarterback, in 2022, he has less than a dozen completions in two combined games. He does not have 150 yards passing. That is accept. That is acceptable for Jamel Holloway, J.C. Watts, Steve Taylor, maybe D. Dallas. But no, in the National Football League, your baseline there are now. If you get a 250 yards, that's a bad game. Jason in two games. He doesn't have 200 combined. You can't win like that consistently.
1: Yeah, listen, which to me speaks to what a good job Mike Vrabel's doing. Yeah. How physical Tennessee is, how great Derrick Henry is and how like if Tannehill comes back and these two teams see each other in the playoffs, I would think Tennessee's going to win. These numbers, for this game to go overtime, we we got some stats here that you've mentioned. Total number of plays for the Chiefs, 91. Mm. 48 for the Titans. First downs, 29 to 9. Uh, Passing attempts, 68 to 16. 43 to 5 completions. Time of possession, 41 minutes to 26. (laughs) How this game got to overtime
2: blows my mind. Jason, I don't think – yeah, go go Jason, ahead. If you're Malik Willis and the coordinator, okay, and you have that 22-wheeler, that big Bama slamma, you know you're getting heavy box fronts. I mean, they're probably running not eight-man fronts. They're probably running nine-man fronts and going man coverage. Did you see the tweets of A.J. Brown? He looked like a guy that escaped from Alcatraz laughing. What's going on? It's like, oh, my God, I'm glad I'm out of there. They literally had zero completions to the wide receivers. If I'm in that room, I'm thinking, hey, hey, fellas, we're getting man coverage. There has to be a time. And again, I'm going to say it again. Malik Willis is going to need time to develop, especially the intermediate passing game where you have to throw around and through and between defenders. You could tell he's very gun shy. Just the way he holds the ball and he tries to scramble, it just looks like a mess. But there are times that you have to loosen that defense and you go max protect and you make it real easy for Malik. One guy's going to run a fly pattern, a deep go, and then there's going to be an outlet. It's I Look, you don't have to run any of this fancy Bill Walsh West Coast offense. Again, it's what you call a deep, shallow read. If the deep guy's not open or you don't want to pull it, dump it off. I, I, because what they're running right now is an absolute waste of Derrick Henry, who I got to give credit to him. I'm going to raise a zip factor. He's now a 20. Mia culpa. I was wrong. Thank it happens. Thank you. Thank this you. This is what I do. I can admit when I'm wrong because it only happens once every <laughs> decade. But you have a guy that you should ride to big things. However, um, this guy is an absolute truck. But you are pu- putting a whole building on that back, and it's, it's, there's only so much one man can do.
1: Tuesday, we stayed in the sports lane. LeBron James' is Lakers, 2-8 and eight, uh, on the season. Fearless Soldier, Steve Kim, joined the show, and we discussed all things LeBron and what's going on with the Lakers. It was election day. We talked sports. We, did, we wanted a counter-program, so we stayed with uh, LeBron and the Colts, firing firing Frank Reich and elevating Jeff Saturday great show on Tuesday Jeff Saturday oh. named the head coach oh. uh of the uh, Indianapolis Colts uh replacing Frank Reich who's been fired uh let's I got a clip here of Ian Rappaport uh, I think talking about Jeff Saturday and how Whatever this they've quickly spun this into it somehow is a reflection on what the NFL thinks of minority coaches. Let's hear from Ian Rappaport
3: Imagine being a very qualified minority candidate and seeing Jeff Saturday hired as interim coach with literally no experience except being a high school coach in Georgia. I mean it's it's mind boggling and it's you know if there's frustration around the league from really qualified assistants, coordinators, especially those who are minorities. With this, certainly all of that is understandable, and no doubt we are going to be hearing more about that, as we should over the next couple weeks, regardless of what happens with the Colts hiring. Hey,
1: uh, hmm. I want to... Could you hear that music that was playing in the background, Steve? Could, yes, I could. Yeah, A and bit. So, yeah I, I don't know if someone here technically could... Help me out here. Why the music was playing uh, so loudly or whatever? And it, it or it maybe no. Could, but
2: Jason, yeah. Jason, don't worry about the music. It, it was all drowned out by the pandering. Oh, <laughs> that came in loud and clear. Oh, okay, hey, buddy, you're you're going to be invited to the barbecue. That guy, whoever you were, Ian you Rappaport. Were yeah, okay, Ian, you're you're going to the cookout. You're good. And bring so, the boss, bring the potato salad. Th-
1: that's yeah. Ian Rappaport, and I want to play you one more. And I'm loath to do this, but I gotta play it because uh, these guys are putting it in front of me. I, I was busy all morning, and and did, and so I, I I let these guys run wild. We're gonna do whatever. We're gonna talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. Put the clips in front of me, and we'll talk about it. And so now they put me in a tough spot. They got a Joy Taylor clip of her pandering, and I, you know I try to avoid this topic or discussing this. But anyway, let's play the Joy Taylor clip as well. Mm-hmm.
3: So. What really bothers me is every time these unqualified, wildly unqualified hires happen, nobody wants to give it the attention that it deserves when we're talking about black head coaches. That's right. You have no experience, none, zero, none, no experience in college or professionally coaching on any level, not as a coaching analyst, none, none. And what is the word that we always hear when it comes to black coaches being hired? I wow, just don't experience. have enough experience. Experience, yep. yep. Experience. All right, so I know they're going to slither on out every time this happens. Make sure you take this back to your little troll hole with you yeah. that these are the examples mm. that are blatant and obvious when we're talking about black coaches not getting hired. We got to have a rule in place just for interviews. Yeah, it's crazy. And if you, could have, if you like the guy, he's been in the building, and you can have a beer with him, it's, it's, have at it. Well, what am I supposed to say to this? This is not a serious hire. Hmm.
2: Hmm.
1: I, and, you know, I got smoke for everybody. And so I don't know why I'm going to bite my tongue on this. If, you know, I, I if I beat up Katie Nolan or Jamel Hill or Maria Taylor. But I, I dance around the Joy Taylor issue. I don't like to... to I don't. I, there's some sympathy or something I have for Joy that makes me not. But that's just clownish. Sympathy
2: or simping. Come on, bring it. Bring so it. I got
1: some simping. <laughs>
2: that's on, it's man. not.
1: It's not simping. <laughs>
2: that's not oh. it. Any. Anyway, I'm gonna let you, you know go thought, first. Go ahead. Right. Go ahead. I thought go ahead. Go ahead. on Joy Taylor. Yeah. I was looking at that carefully. Not a fan of her current hairstyle. That's the thing that I got out of it. The frizzy look. Yeah. Very attractive woman, by the way. Not a fan of this current hairstyle, though. You know, But, all right, a couple things about this hire overall. Yeah. When the news went out that Frank Reich was relieved of his duties, I was surprised, and I was a little bit saddened because I like Frank Reich. Old NFL guy, I grew up with him. Two of the greatest comebacks in college football, Maryland, Miami, and then also the Houston Oilers blowing a 35-3 lead. So he's a guy that I grew up with as a child of the 80s and 90s. I have a bit of an affinity for him. And and watching the hard knocks last year, I really thought he was a good, solid head coach, good man. And the Colts for about 15, 16 games last year were one of the feel-good stories of the year with Carson Wentz and Jonathan Taylor, and then they fell apart like a cheap suit late. And what's interesting is about an hour later, I'm on my timeline, and I started getting reports from like Schefter, yes, uh, Jeff Saturday has, uh, and I actually thought that was a parody account. That's how out of bounds this was, and it got me thinking. And this is funny, I started thinking of Sherelle and Alexander O'Neill. And you say, well, Steve, why are you thinking of those two? You know why? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Love, love that song. <laughs> I play it all the time when I work out. It is great on the treadmill when you work out. Breaks out a sweat, gets me into a rhythm, but. Here's the interesting thing. It also got me thinking that this is not necessarily unprecedented in sports. As a former diehard Laker fan in hiatus, in 1993-94, I remember a man by the name of Urban Magic Johnson who actually was tasked with being the interim coach by Jerry Buss because Randy Fund, it wasn't working out post-Magic. The Lakers were kind of in this dark stretch and it didn't look like we were going anywhere. And then out of nowhere, Magic, who I believe at that time was a uh, minority owner of the Lakers, came off the bench, and there was a lot of hype and hoopla, and it lasted for one game. And then the Lakers went on this long losing streak, and Magic found out, wow, this is kind of tough, this whole coaching thing. And I looked up the record. The last two games of the year were actually coached by our old classic long thing. No. Billy Burtka, who every Laker fan loved because he was one of those institutions within an organization that we love. So as you look back on Magic, what were his worst moments? It was the 84 finals, his coaching stint, and the Magic Hour. So when people say that this has never been – it actually has been done. Now, with that said, forget the element of race. I actually think this is a huge slap in the face to men like John Fox and Gus Bradley. See what you want. John Fox has been to Super Bowls. He's been a playoff coach. And then you have Gus Bradley, who's a highly thought of assistant, who's actually led a franchise. Didn't have great success, but he knows how to be a football coach. This is just a bizarre hiring by Ursay.
1: Totally disagree with your take. Uh, <laughs> totally disagree with, with virtually everything from Ian Rappaport to. Because if a minority coach, as Ian Rappaport is. Suggesting if they're saying, "Oh my God, the coach hired Jeff Saturday," what does it say about me? For, for that whole statement is based on misinformation, disinformation, a lie, a false an equivalency. Name a, a interim coach when coaches get fired midseason, like this. There's about eight weeks left in the NFL regular season. They don't go out and hire uh, some coach off another team. They don't go off and hire whoever's going to be their real coach the next season. They normally uh, upgrade somebody from their current staff and give them that interim tag. And then they virtually never hire that guy as the permanent head coach. And so Eric bien or whoever Byron Leftwich or whoever people have anointed as the next great black coach on some other franchise didn't just get pushed out of a job because uh, Jeff Saturday took this interim label. It, it has no impact on them. If you want to argue that someone on the Colts staff should be given that interim tag, who wants to sign up for that? Particularly a young up-and-coming black coach. They have no quarterback. Matt Ryan is is done and toast and was a failure. Sam Elmlinger isn't an NFL-quality quarterback, and the offensive line can't protect, and it's terrible. So whoever, let's say Reggie Wayne's on that staff, and I ran through the list of guys on the staff, Scotty Montgomery, what they're signing up for is to put 1-7 or 0-8 on their record. That's what they would be signing up for. Or... Two and six or, or, or what? Just some bad record they're signing up to put on their record. Nobody wants to do that. Steve, let's uh, continue our sports conversation by talking about uh, your Los Angeles Lakers, who played no. last night without LeBron James. Uh, LeBron has a mysterious foot injury or ankle injury or something happening. He had to sit out last night. They got clobbered by the Jazz. Uh, they're now two and eight. And listen to this, Steve. As you well know, this is LeBron's fifth year. He's headed towards his third losing season in five years in Los Angeles. Only once they made it to the playoffs twice. Only once have they made it out of the first round of the playoffs, the bubble season, where he got his bubble ring. LeBron James, and I said this at the the time I said that Hollywood LeBron James would be a failure. I said that on Speak for Yourself at the time. I said LeBron's not coming out here to play basketball. He's out here on some BS. And this has been an abysmal failure. LeBron James, the LA experiment has been a failure as I predicted five years ago. It's come to fruition, it's come true. You can't justify this with that bubble championship. That championship will always have an asterisk beside it. This, the, the whole, and this is what you'll never hear anymore, I don't think. No one will have an earnest debate, conversation. No one will have take it seriously comparing LeBron James to Michael Jordan. That is over. Failure it is. in three or five seasons.
2: Jason, he's done the impossible. He has turned the city of LA not against the Lakers, but now, as I told you, we're apathetic. We really don't care, and it's almost to a point they've become a punchline. By the way, LeBron saw this coming about ten years ago. Just ask him, right? Uh, th- this is <laughs> this. I mean, the 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 bubble championship. That's absolutely right. It's an asterisk. I'm not so sure. Who has more championships, the Celtics or the Lakers? I don't count that one. And what's really interesting is he's not getting more heat for what he's doing. He's padding his stats because obviously he wants to break the all-time point scoring record. And then he wants to play with his son. Didn't he say that a couple years ago? I'd like to play with my – oh, my God. You're telling me the Lakers are going to be held hostage for that that, that is the worst case of nepotism since Will Smith remade the Karate Kid for his son. <laughs> Hated that. Okay? I refuse to watch that version. If it ain't Ralph Macchio, okay, and the real Mr. Miyagi, it ain't coming on my cable box. And I just look at this lake. They gave up 140 points last night. And every time I watch the Lakers 139. update, oh, 139. This is the funny part. In a league of shooters, the Lakers have no shooters.
1: Be straight on the facts. And, go ahead.
2: And, and the immortal words of Key Sweat, I'm going to go back to Key Sweat again. On this team, who could shoot a three? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> who wants to play D? Nobody. And the band keeps playing along. I mean, it's sad. This is worse than I think that even the Sedale three era. Because the, the worst moment in Laker fan history, I'll never forget it, Jason. I'm working at the low-budget UPS, RPS in Vernon, California. I was packing boxes early in the morning, trying to pay for my uh, very unsuccessful stint in Cal State, L.A., right? Come out of the shift at about 8.30. And I turned on the radio when I was a, just a hardcore Laker fan. And it was Steve Hartman and Chet Forty, who were like the really big show at that point, and they were talking about Magic as if he had died. I had no idea what was going on. And they basically announced that Magic Johnson in a few hours will have a press conference to announce his retirement. And you have to remember, that came right after the Lakers had gone to the NBA Finals and they got run out of there by a very good young Bull squad. And we're thinking, okay, we added Sedale Three; He's going to be the backup point guard. We're good. We can make another run. And like a, just like that, it was taken away from us. And it was a dark period in laker basketball till about 95 96 when all of those moves came we had a young nick van exel cedric sabalos and then obviously shaq and kobe but right now the lakers fandom i truly believe has checked out on the lakers and i never thought it would happen because first and foremost we have been a lakers town but because of lebron james i can honestly say even though they've only won one World Championship. Our city across the board, I think, cares more about the Dodgers. It's never been that way. You've
1: made that point, and I've thought of – I actually think this could do some permanent damage to the Lakers brand. And yes. that, that they may not recover. I mean, they went all the – just keep in mind that the, the league went from – whoever had the best big man it started out if you had bill russell if you had will chamberlain if you had kareem uh if you had Shaq, you were getting and so the from wilt to kareem to Shaq, the great big man always ended up in la lebron's a different version although he's not seven foot He's so big and athletic at six foot nine. It was like a continuation of that pattern of the the greatest big man always ended up getting traded to the Lakers. If you Wilt Chamberlain played in yep. Philadelphia, Green played in Milwaukee, Shaq was in Orlando, LeBron was in Miami and Cleveland, <clears throat> and but now the league isn't as easily manipulated. There there isn't just this one big shiny, big object you can put on a team and guarantee that team success because of the three-pointer. You know, look, Steph Curry is actually the most dominant player of this era, uh, the most successful. And so it won't be as easy to just, oh, let's just send the best player, the most dominant player in the league to L.A., and the Lakers franchise will be fine. This could be the end of the Lakers as that team in in professional sports, in as it relates to the NBA, LeBron may have overseen the destruction mm. of the Lakers' brand.
2: I think there's a lot of truth to that. And Jason, you know what's not being talked about? Is the leadership of Jeannie Buss. Everyone wanted to blame Johnny and thought he was Fredo. Well, I hate to tell you, um, uh, one of our favorite shows is Succession. It turns out, Jerry Buss, Dr. Jerry Buss, I think the greatest owner in professional sports history, God rest his soul, boxing promoter, by the way, too. When he died, this organization has never been the same. And he was like a very nice, benevolent, much friendlier version of uh, Logan Roy. Right? Here's the problem. It turns out Jeannie, she's Kendall Roy or Shiv or Roman. She's no better than Johnny Buss. I mean, this organization's been a mess. From the way they handled the end of the Kobe Bryant era, and I'm kind of like you, and I get a lot of heat from my Laker friends. I, I'm not part of the Kobe cult. I, I thought the last three years of Kobe were an embarrassment for the Laker franchise. He was overpaid and one of the most unproductive players. He was hobbled. And it set the franchise back at least five or six years. You walk into a bubble championship, but you take away that one year. What has this Laker franchise been since they went back-to-back in beating the Celtics in 2010 uh, I believe Jerry Buss passed away in 2013. So now we're coming up about a decade worth of the Jeannie Buss ownership, where she's the face of the franchise. For some reason, she gets no heat. She seems to be very, very protected. And I think that story has been very, very undertold. Korean Cosell, you're having a rough day.
1: Aren't, don't you mean Jim Buss, not Johnny? Jim Buss,
2: Johnny? No, there's a couple brothers that were one yeah, out of there. Jim
1: Buss was the one that yeah, took the reins, not Johnny you're, yeah, you're having a... That's why I call you Cosell, I'm not gonna, a I'm on my head. Jeez, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so it's Jim Bus, But I do think Jeannie Buss deserves some blame, but I want to go back to another silly statement you made. And again, this is why the audience, <laughs> I question the wisdom of the audience and how much they love you. You called Jerry Buss yeah. the greatest owner in professional yes. sports history.
2: In, a, in American history, yes. Out of the four major sports, not even close... There's no second place. <coughs> why? Who is it? Daniel Snyder? Jack Kent? What? George, don't tell me George Steinbrenner. Don't why know. wouldn't I Who tell you it? George Steinbrenner? Why wouldn't I? Why couldn't
1: I throw Steinbrenner? Why couldn't I throw right. Art Rooney well, in case. there? How come I couldn't throw the Rooney's in there? And, and the six championships of the Pittsburgh Steelers,
2: football, the sport that matters the, just, most, just that matters the most, that matters the most. All right. Let me ask you this. Let's go to George Steinbrenner. Was Jerry Buss ever suspended by the league? No. Did he ever spy on his player and, and Howie spear on Dave Winfield? No. Oh, okay. Advantage, Dr. Buss. Art Rooney. A lot of championships. He's a great man. Six championships. Lakers won it in 80, 82, 85, uh, 86, Don't do don't, A don't, 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 lot more trophies. not do lot that. more trophies. Do lot more trope. And by the way, Don't do that. You're you're comparing football to basketball. Jerry Buss basically started his own cable network, Prime Ticket, which ended up becoming kind of a Fox Sports thing. So you want to talk about an owner that built his own uh, network, created a platform. And by the way, also owned the Los Angeles Kings, owned an indoor soccer team, also promoted a lot of good fighters forum boxing where I I got my uh, education in the sport. The guy was great. He was a national treasure. His only crime was lacking hot young women. And if that's a crime, let him be a criminal.
1: All right, a hump day. Uh, We had to react to the election. I was kind of heated and passionate talking with Delano about what America owes Donald Trump. Kathy Barnett also joined the show, talked about Dr. Oz's failure in Pennsylvania. Great show.
4: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall guy.
0: That's what the poster said.
4: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying
0: to make it out? Nope. Because
4: I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters, May 3rd. Read it, PG 13.
1: Do we not owe Trump some loyalty because we know he's got blood in the game? That he will not sell out because he has no choice. They're trying to put him in jail. And it's great what Ron DeSantis has done in 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 Florida, but does he really have blood in the game? And I say that blood in, blood out is because in order to... I can't remember the name of the gang they had in blood in, blood out, but in order to be led into that gang, you had to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. You had to have real skin in the game. And there were people that wanted to be in the gang, but They didn't have a teardrop. They hadn't put the necessary time in. They hadn't uh, been through all the fires. And so you couldn't get in the gang. And then, you know, once you were in again, the blood in blood out, the only way to get out was through death. And I asked that about Trump in this situation. Don't we owe him that kind of loyalty? Uh, It's his gang. He started it. He's on the firing lines. And it's great what Ron DeSantis has done, but when the bullets really start flying, Ron DeSantis' direction, will he be as loyal um, to people that want to see things disrupted as Donald Trump has been? And so, uh, Delano, we've had this discussion before on the show. Yeah. You certainly prefer uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, what do you think of my blood in, blood out uh,
5: analogy? I will answer your question in terms of do we, the people, Oh, the former president, President Trump, um, a sense of loyalty as it relates to a potential matchup with him and Governor Ron DeSantis. And the answer to that is no, we don't owe him anything. We elect people to represent us. Right. We don't we don't serve our elected representatives. They owe us loyalty. That, that So I think part of the problem is that all of us, Republican, Democrat, conservative, progressive, liberal, whatever, libertarian, tend to get the order of affection wrong. So it's like when, when politicians start talking as if uh, everything is about me, 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 what I want, what I think, it's like, nah, they need to be put in check. All of the, I don't care what party they represent. So I, I don't think we owe him. I think if the people feel that Donald Trump is a better representative and fighter for their values than Ron DeSantis, then they'll choose him in 2024. But that being said, um, DeSantis is different than, let's say, Carrie Lake because we're seeing Ron DeSantis, the governor, not the candidate in 2018 that won by less than 60,000 votes. That's where Carrie Lake is because DeSantis very well if things didn't go in a different way. And I think some people have attributed this to a, a group of um black mothers in in Florida who were very much pro um, school choice. And he he said, hey, I'm going to fight for you. And a lot of people say that they got him over the hump. But Florida could be being governed right now by Andrew Gillum, a guy who has a serious drug problem and some other personal problems. So the the, the state was fortunate to get DeSantis as governor and he governed well for four years. Carrie Lake doesn't have that on her resume, so she's not in the same position as DeSantis. So it may be that, you know, there's some dynamics there in terms of a, of a female leader and personality traits that some voters don't want. I don't know. I don't know enough about Arizona culture. Ahead
1: of the curve, ahead of this conversation, okay, a little okay, bit. Okay, I want to okay. stick to DeSantis but, and Trump. But let me and let me frame the question in okay. a different way, because okay. you've already said as voters know. OK. And so my my follow up question would be, does Ron DeSantis owe Trump a bit of loyalty? And and the loyalty that may need to be shown is mm-hmm. Give this man his flowers. There's a way to for DeSantis to be the candidate in 24. Mm-hmm. Hold on to Trump's base mm-hmm. if you give Trump his flowers, and 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 you got. There's a respectful way if you're going to unseat Trump. Mm-hmm. There's a respectful way of going about it, and I think that was part of where my antennas went up last night when we were having discussions. It was like. Oh, I'm gonna stand, man. Let's give this man his respect, his mm-hmm. due. Mm-hmm. He created the Ron DeSantis's. He created room for Carrie Lake to do what she did. Yeah. Let's make sure we give this man his flowers. And DeSantis and these guys need to make sure they do that. Just don't run over Donald Trump.
5: I, I, I think if I give him his flowers, to to you know, as you said let's say in the public in speeches or whatever, acknowledge, and I thank President Trump, he supported me in 2018 and, and, and helped me seal the victory in Florida, so on and so on and so forth. I have no problem with that. I don't think him being anti-Trump would help him, either as governor or as a potential candidate. But if give him his flowers means don't run if Trump announces that he's running in 2024, then no, he does not owe him that at all. Because cause an election is not about the person running. It it is about the will of the people. And and Jason, as a sports journalist, right, and and an athlete, you know this better than most. A guy's window, um, let's say college football, to be a first-round draft pick or a top-five draft pick does not stay open forever. Some guys have to strike while the iron is hot. If you're coming off a Heisman and a national championship, you come out. You don't say, well... And this is going to sound weird for me because, you know, I'm a big believer in education. You don't say, well, I'm, I'm 15 credits short of getting my, my, my BA in communication science and I'm going to go back to college. It's like, no, your stock is never going to be this high again. And there's no telling what happens if you come back that extra year. You could get hurt. You could play, play poorly and you can drop. Or now I'm not going to go into Carrie Lake, but there could be somebody else who rockets up the draft board. And and they hop over you. So I, I don't think if if again give his, give him his flowers, give him his due respect is is a verbal thing. Is a hat tip. Is a nod. Sure. Right. Th- there's a way in which, for instance, again I use another sports analogy that Bill Belichick will give respect to Bill Parcells, but Bill Belichick is no is no longer the disciple he was when he was with the Giants. He's a man who can stand on his own two feet. And I think in the same way, there's a way that DeSantis can say, give a hat tip to Trump, but he does not have to, in my opinion, does not have to kowtow um, in front of the Trump machine. And if he feels that he's ready to run in 2024, that's exactly what he should do. Okay, go kiss the ring. Go, let, Because Trump's ego
1: is a problem <laughs> and potentially. I just think Trump's base You need to hold on to that and their passion and not blow this thing up. And and again, last night I was much more defensive of of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, keep in mind, I'm a political rookie. I got you. And and so in real time last night, I just kind of got defensive about Donald Trump. And, you know, when I wake up this morning and think about it, it, it does feel like when I read all the stories like, it's DeSantis' time, mm-hmm. and and that's how this plays into the Kerry Lake deal. It's like it's in from a biblical worldview, deal. It's like oh, we're seeing some real male leadership, some real mm-hmm. masculine male leadership, and that's what blew through Florida and made everybody stop in their tracks and people switch votes. And because again, let's run that graphic. I think we have of the difference in percentage of votes uh between Trump and DeSantis in Florida. And and so these numbers are pretty amazing of how much DeSantis outperformed Trump uh and and clearly got a bunch of people that were uncomfortable with Trump, uncomfortable with the Republican party to hop back over to Ron DeSantis. Those are some of the key counties and hmm. just the advantages that DeSantis had. And so at, if you're a Republican or a politician, and you want to have a big impact with voters. It looks to me like male leadership—strong, masculine, fearless—male leadership is being rewarded, and maybe that's where the, <coughs> the Carrie Lake thing, despite all the polls, and maybe they did Mickey Mouse around with the votes. Who who knows? Mm-hmm. But. There also could just be we're thirsting for male leadership and, and it, male leadership packaged with a strong – because I'm telling you, I love Carrie Lake. But maybe we just need more male leadership, and that may be why she a bit underperformed. Guys, we want to talk a little bit about what happened in Pennsylvania. Uh, John Fetterman beat – Dr. Oz, Uh, I don't think we can get a better source on what to make of that decision than Kathy Barnett, who ran for this Senate seat and should have been the Republican candidate over Dr. Oz. Uh, Sean Hannity and these guys. I wonder if they'll be uh, issuing uh, Kathy an apology uh, for supporting Dr. Oz and smearing uh, Kathy Barnett. Kathy, we'll, we'll start there. Sean handed tonight. Do you think he'll start his show with an apology to you?
6: I do not. <laughs> I am not. I am not holding my breath for that. That would take uh, a tremendous amount of uh, personal depth and character that I believe he does not possess. And so I am not looking. I, I'm not holding my breath for that. In fact, what I'm watching, you know, what would You know, this was a hard loss for Pennsylvanians. Um, I did go to bed early, (laughs) and I happened to wake up in the middle of the night after my phone started uh, ringing off the hook and um, and realized what had happened. And, And my heart immediately went towards the people of Pennsylvania. Remember, I spent 13 months on the road 1500 miles every single week, I got to meet a lot of these people. You mentioned a county, I see faces. I remember their stories and they deserve better, right? And so my heart first and foremost grieves for them because this is extremely sad. And I do not believe it had to happen, but it happened as a direct result of people who don't even live in our state Coming in and forcing their will, their way upon the people of Pennsylvania. These are people who have second homes in Florida, so they're going to enjoy the red wave that that uh, Ron DeSantis created down there. Whereas the rest of us are going to have to live here in Pennsylvania under the leadership of two extremely dangerous, not just horrible individuals. I think I mentioned on your show before that you know externally. Fetterman is a slob, but I believe it doesn't just rest at the external level. I believe his external appearance is a reflection of who he is on the inside. This is a horrible individual. He was a horrible individual before the stroke and now he's a horrible individual who had a stroke. And there is no reason why we should have lost to such an incredibly horrid and vacuous individual who has accomplished nothing of real significance Against, um, have lived off of his parents, and yet, again, I believe we're in this situation today, one, it could have been avoided, but I believe we're in this situation primarily because of the Republican machine that tends to uh, value money and high name ID over picking a candidate that will actually relate and fight for our values in the Republican Party.
1: Do you th- that view you just s- said about the Republican Party, the establishment Republican Party lacking substance and, and going not choosing character and high value uh, people. Do you think that's why nationally we didn't see the red wave that many people were anticipating?
6: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, I do not equivocate or hesitate on that um, acknowledgement. I mean, this was ours to win. Can you imagine a worse president than Biden? Can you imagine a worse uh, um, administration than Biden? I mean, it, it, I mean, he's a horror show. Look at the prices. It is as a di- inflation is a is a is as a direct result of him. When he got into office two years ago, he inherited an inflation. of 1.2 percent, 1.8 percent today, we're well over 8 percent and climbing. There is no secession, and that number is only going to get worse. In fact, that's what the Federal Reserve Chair uh, Jerome Powell has said very clearly. Things are about to get even darker. Look at the border crisis. Over five five million illegals have come through our have our border since he's been in office. Look at the fentanyl and the number more children have died of drug overdose than than any other cause in our country. Pennsylvania ranks fourth in that. So this was our year to, to sweep both the House and the Senate, get better representation in there, but instead the Republican machine, not the people. I am a firm believer that the people within the party are some of the best people, but we have a Republican machine that is more concerned, that isn't as concerned with winning as you and I may be. They are more concerned with control and they will rather sabotage an individual like myself, someone who is an independent thinker, someone with, who comes to the table with some substance um, and they will rather sabotage that in order to get someone that they believe that they can control who won't push too much on the values they say they they espouse. But this is as a direct result of the Republican Party. They need to sit back, eat this, own this, take a a dose of humility, which I think is gonna be extremely hard for these people and um, go somewhere and sit down next time. Stop interfering in other people's races. Stop thinking you are Jesus and you know all things and sit down and listen to your people, listen to your constituents. And you can just compare and contrast what Ron DeSantis did in Florida versus what the overwhelming majority of Republican candidates did all across this nation. Ron DeSantis is um, unapologetically conservative. He did not equivocate. He did not pretend he was a moderate or something squishy. He did not act like a plastic individual. He came out and and showed his depth, showed that he believed there is such a thing as morality. There is such a thing as right and wrong. And he did not uh, fall back on that. He was willing to go to buck the system, whether it was a Democrat system or the Republican machine system. And look at what he accomplished. So if you think that next time we just need to get an even more plastic, whitewashed individual to run and that that's the winning ticket, Republican Newsflash, pay attention to what's going on. People are struggling and people want real answers.
1: All right. Thursday, it was time to go deep on Kyrie Irving, because he's finally receiving some support. LeBron James uh, stepped out on a limb a little bit. We had a fascinating Tennessee Harmony discussion about fear and how fear was preventing LeBron James and others uh, from supporting Kyrie. Jay Will has stepped out there. Uh, Awesome show on Thursday. This is a bit of a curveball, because I'm just reacting to things that I'm seeing right now. Uh, over social media. LeBron James has put out a statement uh, over social media uh, telling the NBA, challenging the NBA on this suspension of Kyrie Irving. And, you know, I'm glad to do it. I'm a critic of LeBron's, but holy cow, I love this, that he did that, that these guys are starting to stand up. And it feeds right into our conversation we're about to have about fear, and the reason why I want to talk with uh, Pastor Anthony and TJ uh, about how I think fear is overtaking our society, and it 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 it's all uh, being powered by a rejection of God. When, when you uh, reject God and become a very secular society, uh, men. And, the enti- and then the whole world follows the lead of men. When they reject God, they become controlled by fear and, and anxiety, and we're afraid to do the right thing. And we're afraid of people that say things that we uh, make us uncomfortable or we disagree with. And so my faith in God uh, empowers me not to be fearful. And so if, Ki- if Kyrie Irving, has some kind of uh, Hebrew-Israelite religion beliefs that contradict my views. I'm not afraid of those views. I'm willing to deal with him and, and hear him out and explain the truth that I know, believe, and understand that comes from the Bible because I don't fear him. I don't fear dishonesty because I've got the light on my side. And I'm looking at a society controlled by fear because of its rejection of God. Secular societies are controlled by fear. Faith-based societies, Christian societies, Judeo-Christian culture, uh, faith-based societies aren't controlled by fear. And I just wanted to have that discussion and get more of a uh, biblical understanding from Anthony and TJ. So if Anthony, if you can react to any of that or all of that uh, to get us rolling, please do. Uh,
0: You you are right in your assessment that fear uh, is what's driving a lot of what we see in culture. You're also right in your assessment to say that biblically, fear is not the narrative. It is actually the opposite. It's courage. It's embracing truth. Um, Scripture often teaches that we need to embrace, be willing to have the discussion even between two people. uh, Jesus brings up the scenario in the book of Matthew where he says, if you have an alt or if you have a grievance with your brother, uh, go talk to him. But in society now, we would rather deal you know, behind the hand. We'd rather talk about him and talk to other people about rather to, to embrace that conversation. And the other thing with fear is we are so worried about what may happen and, and what the possibilities are. That we would rather step two or three steps behind rather than to just okay, let's just have this conversation, let's just deal with it. And when you finally embrace the truth, will more things come out possibly, or it could just be a dud as what you thought, or you know what that really wasn't much of nothing anyway, and we move on to the next. But if we operate in fear, um, one thing I'll say before T.J. jumps in. Biblically, um, there are 365 ways that God tells us to fear not. You know, interestingly enough, like
1: 365
0: just with the days. It's either fear not. It's take courage. Do not be afraid. 365 times. And so if we read one of those passages a day, every day, the year would be filled with us not being afraid, with us taking courage, with us embracing uh, the truth. That's just the to set the table.
4: TJ, <clears throat> I first learned what Panthe, uh, Pastor Anthony was talking about several years ago. And I think about it all the time. Right. It's no mistake that God put it in the Bible 365 times. And, and that is the narrative of the Bible is that if you have God, you don't need fear. And, you know, tied into the LeBron James thing you're talking about, he's sitting at two and nine. Um, he's looking at his third losing season in five years, right? L.A. is in the tank. You guys, you and Steve Kim have been talking about that all week here. Um, he's got nothing to lose, right? And that's actually where you see courage begin to sometimes appear. You got, You got nothing to lose. And so – take a chance. Why not? This is why we see a lot with Jason, you and I talk about this off air a lot. A lot of these bloggers, right? They got nothing to lose. And so they have courage. They come out and make really good content. As soon as they get a bunch of money, suddenly they get conservative. They're not interesting anymore. And so God is our nothing to lose. He comes in and gives us, it's like, take Paul, for example, right? Paul's like, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? In in Philippians, he says uh, he wanted he had a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Like he's living his life and he's like, I'm just ready to go. Whenever God wants to take me, I'd like to go. Put me in jail, fine. I'll just save everybody who's there, right? It's a, he, there was nothing you can take from this man. He actually had nothing to lose, not only here on earth, but eternally. And so that is... That is the difference between Christians and the secular lifestyle. We're walking around with nothing to lose. Well, if you've got nothing to lose, it's easy to have courage, right? It doesn't take courage, in fact. When you've got nothing to lose, then you're not risking anything. And fear at its base, right? If you live a fearful life, you're a slave to that fear all the time. You have to consult with it before every decision you make. It's a really terrible place to be because you can never actually be your true self. How do you even know what you like? Because you're so fearful of what may happen if you made a certain decision. You can't, can't have a balanced equation ever. You're a slave to the fear. It's, it is miserable. And that's why, again, you walk uh, perfect love, cast out fear. When you're really feeling God's love, then there's no room. Just like we talked about in Ephesians last week, Jason, when... Uh, You came on the show after we learned from Pastor Anthony. It's like, it filled you up. It it surpassed. It fills out and pushes out all of the garbage. That's what God's love, the agape love that that we discussed. That is God's love pushes out all the fear, and that's how you're able to live your life. And it's hard to expect these secular people to have that type of courage. It really is. I don't know how they would.
1: I want to circle back to you, TJ, and then I want... Anthony to jump in just because this is specific to something I wrote in a column this week about Ben Shapiro and the overreaction to Kyrie Irving and just the the censoring of, of, of thought. And, and that's what I think is going on with Kyrie. He's got some radical thoughts, ideas, that we all seem to be, or the, not we all, but some people seem to be afraid of, and they don't, let's don't platform him. Let's We gotta shut him down, and anybody that says anything in agreement with him, we gotta shut it down. And so I wrote at the end of my column about Ben Shapiro over at the Daily Wire. Ben Shapiro is a very bright man. He has no reason to fear Kyrie. Kanye West, Max Blumenthal, or anyone who disagrees with him. Armed with the truth, he should engage with any critic and let his light push out darkness. That's been the history of America until those of us who believe in God and Judeo-Christian culture chose to deprioritize our faith to live more comfortably in a secular world. Our detachment from God has ratcheted our fear and caused us to be less tolerant of speech we find disagreeable and uncomfortable. The silenced, the demonized, and the unheard turn conspiratorial, unpredictable, and dangerous. The division-destroying America can be directly traced to our lack of resolve to protect the free speech of our adversaries. And, And I just free speech is rooted in religious faith and that's what when i see people with a lack of respect for the constitution bill of rights the lack of understanding that these flawed men and yes they were slave owners and flawed men they wrote a document that was inspired by their faith in god and, mm-hmm. and the tenets and the, the things they put in there we're consistent with a biblical worldview and free speech. That's first amendment free is at the root of that And when I see people Showing fear of free speech or, or you know engaging with people that disagree with them is beneath them I'm not even going to engage I see all that rooted in a lack of respect for free speech and fear and and so that's why I, I'm excited, you know, and you make a great point. Anthony had made it, I think, off air as well. Like, hey, LeBron's team is, is doing poorly and perhaps he needs Kyrie, and that's why now he's going to man up and defend Kyrie. And, and I hear that. I don't really care what's motivating him to do the right thing. I'm just excited that he's taken a step towards protecting Kyrie and Kyrie's religious freedom and free speech. Uh, and so if you could just react, the importance of free speech and and how uh, relig- a lack of religious faith makes people devalue free speech.
4: Well, sure. And that's, that's the history of Marxism, right? That's that's George Orwell, 1984. When you talk about Newspeak, if you guys have, most people have read that book. Um, there's a, a quote in there, it says, "Don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak? Newspeak, by the way, if you haven't read the book, is their approved." dictionary that they come out with every year and there's new words and it's what you're allowed to say. And so um as there's a new edition every year of new words that are gone, they don't add words, they only take words away. They said don't you see the whole aim of newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end we shall make thought crime literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. Right? And that's the idea. And and cuz we've gone past free speech, we've moved into free thought and that you can't think that it's a sin to even think that. And so Kyrie could come out and have an apology, but no, he still may think that. So he needs to demonstrate these five or six things before he comes back to show us that he doesn't even think that anymore. So we've moved far past that. It, the, the logical next step to, to uh, disallowing a free speech is disallowing a free thought. And so we're in dangerous territory. Um, Free speech is what allows us to sort through the bad ideas. It's the only way you can do it. And you have reasonable people on the side of truth who are clinging to the Bible and scripture. And that, by the way, scripture is what ended slavery. Scripture is what got us through all sorts of things. Uh, Many of the injustices throughout history were ended because of how people looked at scripture. And so, That it's just, you know, as relates to Ben Shapiro, um, Ben, to me, this is strategy. I think he is. He thinks these people, he doesn't want to give them credibility or justify what they're saying by lending his credible name to it. And he takes this approach in foreign policy as well. I've seen him talk about it with North Korea. He was always upset that President Trump would meet with Kim Jong-un because he's saying you're giving him credibility and we shouldn't do that. He doesn't get a seat at the table. And so Ben would be saying here that Kyrie Irving shouldn't get a seat at the table, right, for guys who are going to have these kind of thoughts about Jewish people. And, I, and again, Kyrie hasn't been as expansive as, as Kanye West has. But the idea with this black Hebrew Israelite thing would be that, Ben, you're actually a, an imposter. You're a fraud and that black people are the real Jews. And Ben's saying, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. And that's one way to go about it. But the issue you run into Is as you pointed out just with Steve Kim not uh, just a few minutes ago. It's like this stuff's been around It's not you ignoring. It's not going to make it go away You've actually got to attack it with a better Argument and that's the only way you can approach it. And so I don't I don't appreciate Ben's uh, Approach here. I understand it's strategic and it actually it's working for him right now because people are so sensitive about any attacks on Jewish people because of the Holocaust understandably, but I don't I don't like the approach. You have to give a better argument and not just say you can't say that.
1: And then on Friday, we melted the earth. We talked about Adam Silver and the NBA and all the professional sports trying to force religious values out of sports. That's what's really going on with Kyrie Irving. It's not about whether we agree with his religion, it's whether he has the freedom to practice it and whether the sports world will tolerate it. Myself, Royce White, Delano Squires, awesome friday show hope you enjoyed it here's an excerpt is everybody not trying to be the same on all these social platforms is everybody not trying to be famous is everybody not trying to be liked is everybody not trying you know what i'm saying like i don't but but y'all but but y'all want to crucify the people that want to make change but as soon as some shit pop off everybody runs back i don't get it Everybody runs back to their Twitter, to their Instagram, to their TikTok. Everybody runs back to the social. You know, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, all, all, everybody just runs back. Nothing gets done, nothing gets changed. Kyrie's making a point that I've been making for a solid seven years, that the social media matrix, that they want everybody attached to it and controlled by it. This, this man is dangerous and they gotta shut him down. Because to have an influence running this wild and explaining to people like this is all a game, a rigged system, they can't have it. They can't have it, Royce. I mean, what could what did he say
7: that anybody could argue with? And even more so, what what did he say that you could that you could make the argument represents hatred? Nothing he said seems hateful to me. It it doesn't even seem aggressive. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, I look at what he I look at that video. And I start to question my own approach to these conversations. I'm being honest in real time because, you know, even in the last couple episodes, I go back and I listen just to try and, you know, hone in on the things I'm saying and the way I'm delivering a message to an audience that that has ramifications and ripples into the future. And sometimes I gap out because I take a lot of these things personal, especially the lies from the establishment, because I came through it. Um, but what Kyrie is doing is, is trying to be as um, – as objective and, and, and pragmatic as possible. And it just goes to show what the real fight is. This isn't about race. And let, let's be honest here. You and I, we, we, we understand how race has been played as a cultural three-card Monty, where we put black and white versus each other and we make off with the green. But let's be honest. I said it before. The crown is the sine qua non of, of, of globalist satanic uh, uh, rule. There's no doubt about that. And there were some black folks in Africa. There were some, some colored people in Africa that played a role. There were more darker colored skinned people all around the world that played a role. But let's just be clear. The crown is the sine qua non of where we are today. And, and, and most people are coming to grips with that. But what's, what's troubling many people is that we have to confront the historical narrative about race while coming to grips with the bigger fight. And a lot of people aren't able to do that because we've been programmed so, so heavily. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, we, we are a Eurocentric society and there is a lot of culpability in that. And if you ask me as a Catholic, uh, wh- who would I say holds the most culpability? Am I going to say young black people in the streets of Minneapolis? No, they hold a lot of individual culpability. But if you talk about institutional culpability, I'm going to say the Vatican, the the Catholic Church, our our own, the body, the the body of Christ in in the physical. That is the institution that holds the most culpability in the way it behaved, not only today, but in the 17th and 18th century with King Henry. Right. And the things that we the, the heresies and the blasphemies and the and the rules that we let be bent at that time as an institution. Protestants the same. The entire Anglican church where Protestantism Protestant, uh, comes from has King Henry VIII, right? I mean, these things have historical basis that we all get taught to gloss over and speed by in an attempt to push us away from freedom. And we're coming down the hatch here where it's not about race. We need to look at race for its historical significance. But this is really about who is for freedom and who isn't. Let's shake all of the race stuff aside, you know, and let's talk. Let's get down to brass tack. And my Republican, my conservative, my Christian brothers and sisters and citizens <coughs> of America, they and Donald Trump himself, I said it. We better get right about this reconciliation. There needs to be. A genuine racial reconciliation in this country. And it doesn't need to be along the lines of some fake kumbaya or grievance politics. It needs to be along the lines of what we believe we want and stand for going forward. And you're going to see a lot of people break stride with this conversation. Ben Shapiro's one of them. Where does Ben's allegiances really lie? Is there such a thing as Jewish supremacy, Ben? Be honest. Don't lie. You know, stand under that yarmulke with some with some sacred honor. Is there is there a problem in black communities? Minister Louis Farrakhan, I love what he had to say. I love what he had to say on behalf of Kyrie and, and Kanye. It was straight down the middle. You know, let, let's let, take pick Le, LeBron. Is there an issue there in China? These are the conversations we got to start to have. And I think that's ultimately what Kyrie is saying is who have we become? We're just in this zeitgeist of social media where the conversations we're having aren't even real. They're just a representation or projection of what we want to look like. Meanwhile, nothing actually gets accomplished. And and who could argue with that? I mean, that is the, that is the proper diagnosis of the time that we live in.
1: Delano, I, I mean this in every biblical way. I love you, brother. Uh, I appreciate that. Same anyway, here. explain Funny your too. column today.
5: Yeah, I, Jason. It's for weeks. I just been trying to bring into words what I've been thinking about with with this entire situation around, you know, Kanye West and Kyrie Irving, and and not just their words, but the responses, particularly from the, from the black commentariat, who typically do not speak up. Uh, certainly not on our behalf, right? You know, we level critiques against hip hop culture, so on and so forth. They're silent on those things, and I'm, I was just trying to find words and and the right words because I know it's it's. Sensitive territory, and as I said before, when you're dealing with nukes, it's different than dealing with a super soaker. So I try to be careful because I, I don't. I try to minimize collateral damage. But something kept coming to me, Jason, and it was, so many people, when they talk about these issues, it's always um, harmful words, hurtful terms, hurtful tropes, words of violence, and it, it's a. It's there's a tendency. You know, and I name specific people, Jesse Washington, ESPN, um, the, 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 the gentleman from The Blaze, the editor of The Blaze, I can't remember his name off top. Um, Leon. Who wrote a response, yes, who wrote a response to one of your columns. And, and, and it's, it's the same pattern. It's Kyrie posted a tweet to a link to a documentary on Amazon with no commentary, no words. I watched the thing. It had some hurtful things. And what they do, they say the 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 things I disagree with in this in this documentary are somehow connected to um, violence that's been perpetrated against Jewish people in the past, whether in the Holocaust or um, the, the Jesse Washington mentioned the Tree of Life shooting, mass shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. And I'm just like, where is this coming from? And, and as I lifted up a level, I said this is this is the play that every group that paints itself as oppressed tries to run. I know it most intimately within our community in terms of black folk and saying, you know, Democrats get a law they don't like. is Jim Crow 2.0. It's Jim Eagle. Um, if a Republican gets into office, he's trying to put you back in change. He's trying to bring back, you know, segregation and roll back the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And the people that, I, that I'm talking about, both, you know, the, the Leon gentleman and, and Jesse Washington, it's this documentary is linked to the the extermination of Jewish people and 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 mass shootings in synagogues, and I and and I said this is the same thing that animates the the trans activists when they say if you if you don't use somebody's gender preferred pronouns, if you don't affirm them, if you don't give them quote unquote gender affirming care, they're gonna kill themselves, and I said this is our country has a free speech impediment that's caused by a condition that I call oppression obsession. And it makes groups paint themselves as marginalized and oppressed. And what they do is say, if you speak against either us as a group or an individual within our group, then you're going to cause violence to either come upon us or you're going to cause us to, to engage in violence against ourselves. And what it's done, it's locked up the mouths of millions of Americans. And I started by talking about some teenage girls in New Hampshire who were in a beauty pageant and, and some uh, big old dude who dresses in a wig and, and some shoes on won the pageant and a scholarship. And the girls that are surrounding him are smiling like, like this is okay and I'm saying to myself, either they've been fully indoctrinated or they are so demoralized that they know that they cannot speak because if they do, they're gonna get raked over the coals, and it's no different than some of the stuff we're seeing with, with with Kyrie Irving, right? It's the notion that some players, like the Lebrons, feel like they either can't say what they want to say, or they feel like the the Charles Barkleys, the James Browns, the Shaqs, and 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 some other people. It's well, I have to say this particular thing to to go you know along with the script. So, I wanted to bring that into focus. And I think that explains so much of why our public discourse has been completely corrupted. And we can't have difficult conversations about anything. Because as soon as you say something about somebody in a particular group, and again, I'm including black folk, it's, oh, you want to kill us. You want to put us back and say, you want to put us back in chains. And I said, no, we can't do that. And we can't allow ourselves to be held hostage by people trying to do that to us.
1: The thing that that baffles me about What you're pointing out is if my column that has some mild criticism of Ben Shapiro or uh, who who knows, just mild criticism of somebody, if if that somehow is the rhetoric that leads to death and violence, how come there's not a consistent message of like, okay, Mm -hmm. we got a whole gang of rappers putting out music that denigrates black people, calls for violence against black people, denigrates women, uh, you know, brags about rape of women. Eminem did a song with Dr. Dre where he said, even the women I rape have or reach orgasm. Again, Mm. if all of that can be said and, and, and there's not this Consistent passion of like, wow! This leads to the death of black people, disrespect towards women. It's must. This must be linked to why the divorce rate is so high among the black community. Why they're not getting married? But no one passionately argues the consequences of this demonic music. Mm-hmm. But mild criticism in a column or whatever, there's a direct link between anything that happens to anybody. And, and and all I can say is, until somebody can show me a comparable number or percentage of dead bodies that equal to what I see in black communities, then I, I'm like, hey, what are we really talking about here? Because I'm looking at bodies thrown out over every major city in America, black men slaughtered in the streets and we can't criticize this music either we're sellouts or Mm -hmm. all you know people cape up for them there's just no consistency with the logic all right that's it and that's all uh go to youtube.com slash jason whitlock if you're on apple or spotify hit the likes hit the subscriptions give me the five-star review uh join the fearless army get your fearless army swag uh have a great weekend and we'll see you on monday